can I echo Tim's welcome to everybody from across the congregations? I also want to say a special welcome uh, to Tina Phillips, who's our administrator. Tina and her husband, Chris, have joined us this morning, and they're going to be joining with us and their children for lunch. So if you haven't met Tina yet, please do make sure that over lunch you speak to her. But it's a great joy and a privilege to have you both here with your children. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Father, we've just sung about the extraordinary thing that you have done to us, to those of us who come and put our faith in the Lord Jesus, who hear that call to follow Jesus and give our lives to Him, and so come to know you. We thank you that you have given to us, as we've sung, a hope for the present and a hope that leads into the future. You have given us our lives back in all its fullness. And so, Father, we ask this morning that by your Holy Spirit, you would work amongst us as we reflect on your word to us. And, Father, that you will enable us, by the work of your Spirit, to engage deeply with your voice as you speak to us through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, to the passage that Matt read to us. It's either in the Red Bibles, in which case it's uh, 1256, 1206, 1206 in the Red Bibles, and 1155 in the brown ones, if you've got one of the new Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15, the end of the chapter. There's something about stories, isn't there? A really good story that for many of us has the capacity to draw us into the narrative and take us out of ourselves and out of our lives and we get caught up in the great movement of the narrative of the story. There's something very compelling about those kinds of stories, good stories like that, isn't there? I remember I was a late starter and I didn't read Lord of the Rings until I was at university. You know that great epic by Tolkien about the story of the movement from the Shire, by which I mean Hobbiton, to Mount Doom with the ring. And it's a wonderful epic. People live their lives with enormous purpose. Destinies are at stake. And I read long into the night. And it was much more compelling, I have to say, I'm reading about microeconomics, or even those great debates about the effects of industrialization on standards of living. I was much more gripped by the story of Frodo and Aragorn and Gandalf, and I wanted to be in that kind of narrative to have a life that was full of purpose and meaning, that had a direction to it, that was clear in terms of that purpose, that was freighted with a weightiness. And somehow when I came back to earth and got into my microeconomics textbooks and my economic history books, life wasn't quite the same. There was something compellingly ordinary 
about my life. It didn't seem to operate on the same level as the narrative that I've been engaged with. And that's the thing about those great narratives, isn't it? We come back to our lives and we are struck sometimes by the ordinariness or even the triviality of our lives compared with the narrative that we've been reading in this gripping novel. As Christians, we claim that we are part of a narrative, part of a story of what God is doing, of what God has been doing in eternity past and what He is doing now and what He will do in the future. And we hear the call, don't we? If you give your life to Jesus Christ, then you join that narrative. You join God's story and your life is now freighted with meaning and purpose and significance. God is at work, we hear, through you to bring about His purposes for the world. You are God's change agent. Your life has been elevated to a level of extraordinary significance. And maybe we hear about that in church and we leave fired up with the sense of the significance of our lives as a follower of Jesus Christ. Or we go to a conference and we join in the singing at the end and our hearts are lifted and we go out with a great sense of purpose. And then we come back to earth. And again, we are struck by the compelling ordinariness so often of our lives. Our lives so often seem to be no different from everybody else's lives. They don't feel as if they're freighted with meaning when we're doing the weekly shop or when we're changing nappies for our children or when we're on the school run or when we're facing sickness or disappointment or failure. And there seems to be this huge disconnect, doesn't there, between the narrative that we're told that we are part of. Your life matters. Your life has an extraordinary significance because you are part of God's story. There's a disconnect that we sense. We feel deeply between that narrative and the experience of our life. So what's going on? What's going on? When we're told that we're part of God's big story, is that just Christian hype? Or is it just for special people? I think that's sometimes how we feel, isn't it? It was just the moment of that conference. It was just how I felt, how my emotions were stirred by what was said. And maybe it is just for special people which only serves to confirm the insignificance of our own lives. The people who live, followers of Jesus, who live these extraordinary lives are in themselves extraordinary people. And so I am confirmed in my ordinariness. And so when we face the frustrations and the triviality and the repetitiveness of our life, and when those tragedies break into our life and disappointment and failure, we feel profoundly the disconnect 
You know that, don't you? All of us know that. That is our experience. And that's where it becomes dangerous. Because when we feel like that, there is the danger that we become disillusioned. And we start to backpedal on what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We start to live half-heartedly. We succumb to despair. Or we compromise, we go with the flow. We do just enough to keep our conscience under control. Just enough so that we don't feel that we're grieving the Holy Spirit. But basically we've compromised and we live lives that are indistinguishable from everybody else's. Or we compartmentalize. We follow Jesus for a few moments on a Sunday or when we're in our connect groups. But then for the rest of our life, while a whole different series of standards and aspirations and desires rule us, we have divided our lives up into the spiritual component that's almost hermetically sealed from the rest of our lives. And that's when it becomes dangerous for us as followers of Jesus Christ. So this morning what I want to try and do with the help of the Spirit of God is to move beyond hype. Beyond Christian hype. But in doing that, I actually want to raise the stakes for us. I want, God willing this morning, to help us to see that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not just part of a story. You are part of an epic. You are part of the great epic saga of the entire universe. Your life is freighted with extraordinary meaning and purpose. You are part of what God is doing in the world, begun in eternity past, worked out through God's people in the Old Testament, worked out through fall and redemption, worked out in Christ and brought to full fruition in the new creation. We are brought into that story, not simply so that we experience it, which we do. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're forgiven, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the hope for heaven. Not just that we experience it, but because God has called you to play a role in that story. You are actors. I am an actor in the drama, the great epic of the whole of existence. God's great epic. So when you heard the call to follow Jesus Christ, however that came to you, whether it came over a period of time, whether it came in a moment, however little or however much you grasped at that time. But when you said yes to Jesus and when the Holy Spirit was poured into your life, God said to you, you're forgiven, you're my child, I am your father. You have hope for the future. You will be with me in the new creation forever. But I am calling you to follow me. Repent and believe the good news. Follow Jesus. The whole of your life is, 
is given to you back again when we become followers of Jesus so that our lives may be devoted to the purpose that God has for us in Christ, which is to play our role in this great epic of what God is doing. And I want us to try to get some kind of vision that that's your life. It isn't hype. That is reality. But the key to seeing that, the key to understanding it, is the resurrection. Would you have a look at the passage, please? This is the climax of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. His first letter to the Corinthians is the climax of this great passage in chapter 15, which is about the resurrection. And here it is at the climax of this letter, uh, this, this, the letter and the chapter. And in verse 58, Paul says, therefore, which means in the light of everything I have been saying, there are consequences. Please take note. Things flow out of this. And what's he been talking about? He's been talking about the resurrection. And he says, in the light of the resurrection, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The key to understanding the significance of our lives is the resurrection. We've sung about the resurrection. Rightly. We believe it. The resurrection is hope of life after death as we enter in the new creation. It means that with certainty we can go to the funeral of a Christian brother like our dear friend John Baxter the other week. And, and recognize the absence of somebody who's been dear to us and see the coffin and yet speak with hope because we believe in the resurrection. We will be raised to the life immortal. We will be raised to be part of the new creation that God will usher in when Christ returns. That's true. Gloriously true. But the significance of the resurrection is not just future. It is present. The resurrection changes everything now for us. That's what Paul's talking about. Therefore, in the light of the resurrection, stand firm. Don't let it move you. Because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He isn't talking about what you're going to do in the new creation. He's talking about what our lives are here. The resurrection changes everything for us now, and it means that the whole of our lives has been transformed. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain because what you do is not ended by death. There is the resurrection. It means that whatever we do as followers of Christ, what we do in the Lord, has a significance into eternity. And therefore, Paul says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't succumb to disillusionment or despair. Don't compromise. Don't compartmentalize. And whatever you do, 
don't give up, but rather give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. What does that mean? A friend of mine reminded me recently that um, we can talk about these great principles. Your lives are significant. They matter. We can try to extend people's horizons and visions, but what does it look like on the ground? Because that's where we live. We change nappies. We do shopping. We go for doctor's appointments. We have surgery. We face tragedy. We face disappointment. We face confusion. We look at the apparent triviality of meaninglessness sometimes of our life. We wonder what it's all about. How is it different from everybody else's life? We live life on the ground. So what does this mean for life on the ground? So I want to say just two things. Number one, it means a new focus, a new center for our lives. A new center. And that new center is centered around what God is doing, the focus of what He is about in this world. And what is the focus of what He's about? It is to bring about a new community, a new nation, a new people who have been renewed and who will be part of the new creation that's the focus of what God is doing. He is building a community of people who've been changed and are being changed by the Spirit and will be part of the new order. That's what he's about. That is the focus of what God is doing. We call that new community church. And every time we use the word church, I sense that what all of us think, including me, is buildings. We just automatically do it. Or we think about what we do on Sundays or what we do in connect groups or we, we have all kinds of ways in which the word church gets filtered. When Paul uses the word church, he's talking about the community of people God is drawing to himself as people respond to the gospel and building them so that they will flourish as God's people and impact those around them. That's the focus of what God is doing, and that is to be the focus of the life of every believer. In chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul says of the Corinthians, he uses an agricultural metaphor. He says, you're God's field. God's at work in you. He's plowing you and sowing seed. And then he uses a building and construction metaphor. You are God's building. And not just any building. He goes on in verse 16 of chapter 3 to say that you're God's temple. You are the place of God's presence. Where is God present? He's present everywhere because He is God, but He is specially present amongst His people. We are the temple. We are the place of God's presence. And is that community that is to be the focus of the Christian life. When you become a follower of Jesus, you don't just enter a relationship with God. You do. God becomes your Father. 
It's not just that you're forgiven, you are. It's not just that you're given hope of going to heaven, the new creation, you are. But when you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus, by His Spirit, makes you a part of this new community called the church. And He calls you to share in the life of that community, to receive from it, to nurture it, to grow it, to build it up, to enable it to flourish. And that is to be the focus of the Christian life. Paul in chapter 9 verse 1 literally says of the people in Corinth, you are my work in the Lord. When you become a follower of Jesus, you become part of what God is doing in the world. You become part of this new community. And the call is to have that new community at the center of our lives. I, I feel like I need to close some doors here, and I haven't got time to close too many of them very thoroughly, but let me just close one or two doors. This is not about being on lots of church committees. <laughs> it is not about programs. It's about people. We, the people of God, are God's building. And it's about people who don't yet know that they're part of God's building, but will one day be part of God's building. You currently aren't in any church this morning who think that life is fine, but God has His hand on them, and one day they will become followers of Jesus Christ. And we are to be part of the means by which that happens. The focus of our life is to be on people, the people of God, of building them up. And it isn't either another door I want to close. It isn't that God isn't concerned about the entire natural world. He is. It's not people, but we don't care about the environment. God cares about bridges, and He cares about buildings, and He cares about stuff, and He cares about the whole created order. But change comes about through people who've been made in the image of God, who are to act as His stewards and representatives. And so, as people change, then things change. We are to live our lives other people-centered, focused on the community of Jesus Christ. I think in our individualistic age, we find that quite hard. We think about my relationship with God, my personal quiet time. Or if we think about church, then we think about the committees and we think about whether we should help in the youth work or whether we should help in services or whether we should do things. We need to understand that we're an integral part of the people of God. That is what we've been called to be part of and to participate in. That is to be the focus of our lives. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul has this wonderful section which is completely absurd. It's utterly absurd. He says, I supposing one day the foot gets up and says, I really don't like the hand. That left hand is a real embarrassment to me. I'm off. I'm going to cut myself off and go off. It's Monty Python, isn't it? We don't do that, most of us anyway. We don't mutilate our bodies in that kind of way. 
My foot is fairly important to me. I want to hang on to it, and my left hand's quite important as well. I need all the bits of my body. <laughs> I need all of them, trust me, to be able to function. And we need to be part of the body of Christ if we are to flourish. But not just so that we might flourish, because, but because that's what God has called us to do with our lives, to be with our lives. And I think it's about, I think it's about this, because I think what we do, we'll think, well, well, should I do this? Should I spend less time with the family or more time at church? Should I serve on this committee and that? I, I, I don't think we should start there. We always start in those kinds of ways. We need to start with our desires. That's where we need to start. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The things that you really desire that are important for you will direct the course of your life. So get your desires sorted out. It's about beginning to see our lives as God sees them. It's about beginning to have His desires for us, for our lives, and then living that out. A new focus, the people of God. And secondly, it embraces the whole of life, all that we are, the whole of you, not part of you. When Jesus said to the first disciples, come and follow me, he didn't say, just 50% of you come. He said, all of you. He said, you come with your circumstances, with your personality, where you are. So when... When you become a Christian, when you hear that call, which is what it is to follow Christ, he says, I want you to come. That means you with your intellect, you with your emotions, you with your personality, you with your family circumstances, you with your career, you with your friendships, you with your money, the whole of life. It embraces everything. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is not to be a follower of Jesus in certain areas of our lives, but not others. It is the call to the whole of us to follow. All of you. That's what Paul's been talking about in 1 Corinthians. He's been talking about how people do life. Relationships within the church, but relationships outside of the church. What happens when you go and have a meal with friends who aren't followers of Jesus. How do you behave? How do you do your business life? What do you do about legal issues? Sex, singleness, marriage. He's talking about life. And so when we talk about being a follower of Jesus, always giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, we're talking about the whole of life. Everything. Always give yourself fully to the work of your Lord, the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, your work in the Lord, what does that mean? It means that your life has a new center. You've been drawn into God's building project and He has a task for you. Everybody. Everybody. And it embraces the whole of life. And you know, here's the issue, I think. It doesn't feel like that, does it? It doesn't feel so epic. It doesn't feel that significant. And I think in this life, for most of us, it never will. 
Because you see, the wisdom of the world says, here's the way to live and be successful and live a great life. Make lots of money, follow your career, follow your heart, do all kinds of things. That's the wisdom of the world. And Jesus Christ says, follow me, which is the way of the cross, and serve the purpose, this great purpose that I have for your life. And no, it won't look like very much to many people outside, but it's the epic of the universe. And therefore, your life is freighted with meaning. Because of the resurrection, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let me uh, draw this together. Lunch is going to be a cold lunch, so it's all right. Do you notice that phrase, is your labor in the Lord? Do you notice that phrase? Have a look at it. Your labor in the Lord. It is possible to live your life not in the Lord. Some of you may have been around church circles for many, many years. And you know the gospel. But you've never actually given your life to Jesus Christ. Intellectually, you may be okay with it. But in terms of giving Christ your life, submitting to Him, and what it means to follow Him, you've never done that. So if you're outside of Christ, if you're living your life not in the Lord, then I want to encourage you to give your life to Christ, to repent and believe, to turn around and come to Jesus and ask for His forgiveness and take up that purpose that He has for your life. For others here this morning, it may be that you've got sidetracked, maybe you've got disillusioned or You've compromised your life or accommodated in some kind of way. You've been thrown off track. I want to encourage you to come back. None of the other things will last. You can build your life on all kinds of foundations, but if it isn't built on this foundation, all the others will be swept away. Some of you are in your 20s and 30s and there are so many options for you and you just feel excited about the possibilities of life and about career and maybe family and houses and you know whatever the future lies for has for you and travel and so many options follow them follow a career be an engineer be a designer be whatever it is that God has gifted you to do, but don't. Don't let that become your idol. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Make sure that your career is devoted to the Lord. Some of you are in young families and there's all the pressure of young families and there are career options and life is busy and in my experience it's very easy at that stage of life just to get sidetracked. Family is a good thing. Children are, generally speaking, a good thing. They need our time and our attention. If you're a father or a mother, 
God has given you that privilege. But over the years, I've seen many young families get sidetracked. I um, recently ran into a young couple, well, youngish, who've got two great young teenage boys. And I think if you asked certainly the mother, what do you want for your kids? She would say, I want my children to grow up, amongst other things, to follow the Lord Jesus. But they're never part of a Christian community, as far as I know. And I was reminded of Dan. Dan's a young dad, and he's crazy about cricket. He just loves cricket. He's obsessed. He goes to all the matches. If cricket's on, he watches cricket. He has two young sons. What does he do? Whenever possible, he takes them to matches. Whenever there's a match on the television, he will sit them down and get them to watch it and talk them through it. Their backyard is effectively like a cricket ground. He gets them playing cricket. He plays a bit of cricket himself and he invites them along and they've, one of them started playing cricket and he goes and watches them. Tell me, what do you think the chances are that those boys will grow up loving cricket? Why do we think it works differently when it comes to Christianity? Why do we think it's different? And I thought about that when I thought about this young family. Do they want their children to be followers of Jesus? I guess they'd say yes. What are they doing about it? They're certainly not part of the people of God. It's easy to get sidetracked. Some of you are the contented stage. You're in the era of the gray nomads. Don't become a gray nomad, please. <laughs> Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And then there are those of you who are struggling. Struggling with disappointment, you feel that your life is constricted by circumstances, by things that are completely out of your control. Your life isn't what you wanted it to be. It isn't going in any direction you would like it to be going. You're facing disappointment, and maybe it feels this morning as if you've just been overwhelmed. It's like being caught in the surf and the surf is just huge and it takes you off your feet and there's nothing you can do. And that's how you feel. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When Jesus called you, he called all of you. Everything that you are, including your circumstances. And so even though it may feel as if you're overwhelmed by the circumstances you're in, and that you're full of, your life is full of disappointment and there's tragedy, it is of significance. It is not in vain. Whatever you're going through, whatever that doctor's appointment might say as a result tomorrow, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your life is freighted with this epic significance. Jesus called you and your labor is not in vain. Your life is not bounded by your circumstances. You've been given an unbounded life by the resurrection. Does it feel like that? No. But not everything that's real feels real. 
does it? You can't feel everything that's real. But one day you will see it in all its glory, in its wonder. I want to finish with this. I've quoted this before, but I, I, I love it. I think it's really evocative. In her book, Gilead, by Marilyn Robinson, it's uh, an account of John Ames, who's an old minister. He's not very well. He's going to die fairly soon, and he has a very young son. And so he knows that he won't grow up. He won't see, his son won't grow up to see him um, with his father. And so he's writing to him his thoughts and As he writes to him, he muses on various things. And there's one point where he says this. I can't believe that when we've all been changed, this is 1 Corinthians 15, I can't believe that when we've all been changed and put on incorruptibility, we will forget our fantastic condition of mortality and impermanence. I can't believe we'll forget it, he says in the new creation. Then then he says this, I believe all that has passed here will be the epic of the universe, the ballad they sing in the streets. I think he's right. In the new creation, the great song will be the song of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God who died for us. But alongside that, they'll be singing ballads in the street. Ballads of people who live lives that seeming insignificance, of struggle, of disappointment at times. But they are people whose lives were truly freighted with extraordinary significance because they were followers of Jesus. And in the new creation, the ballads they sing will be the ballads of those lives. And so for you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whatever you're going through this morning, however overwhelmed you are in the new creation, they're going to sing the ballad of your life. Because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So don't become disillusioned. Hang on. Be firm. Be steady. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's bow our heads and be quiet for just a moment.